Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, Holt Norris, joined by my good friend, Jordan Brooks. We call him JB. What's up, JB? Pretty well, Holt. Glad to be here. You been all right today? I'm doing great, man. I love how you asked that. Like, we haven't been sitting here talking for the past 45 minutes. I know. We were just trying to get used to our uh, new equipment here. Um, it's yeah. a, quite an adjustment, but we're going to have some awesome stuff here. Yeah, we did finally get some new equipment set up. Uh, JB, when's the last time we recorded a podcast? From what I saw in our records, we have not recorded since October of 2020. Yeah, that's been quite a long time. A lot of things have happened since then. It has. Um, for one, um, I'm not living with you anymore. I don't know how big of an adjustment that's been for you, but... No, no longer roommates. No longer roommates. Uh, we can't play Xbox every night. Uh, we can't uh, watch our uh, Netflix specials, you know, like... Uh, I don't know some of these documentaries like what was it the Malaysian Flies documentary I know you like watch one of those uh, documentaries oh yeah love those documentaries a little history stuff like that but um, yeah I mean things move on a lot of things have happened I mean uh, you've gotten married uh, moved in with your wife uh, Alex has gotten married and just recently had his first kid so uh, so that's uh, really exciting I love we're all, we're all growing up yeah and both of us are now homeowners now too so now that makes three of us. Um, all three of us um, are officially uh, homeowners. Yeah. And then as far as uh, the podcast goes, um, at least the plan is for now, um, just me and JB are going to be going at it. Alex says that he's not going to want to join, but I have a gut feeling that after we get started, he may he may decide that he wants to get involved. But I'm not sure how it's going to work with our new equipment. But I'm sure we'll figure something out. I mean, we can always have Alex on as a guest anytime that he's in town. I'm sure he'll be happy to record with us. And, you know, it would be good for our viewers to hear from Alex every now and then, too. I'm sure they all miss his uh, welcome back to the SEC Slow Smoke podcast. Yeah, we will get a lot less uh, Memphis football references on the podcast without him, though. Irrelevant. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and if you hear some background noise, that would just be my dog, Roxy. She's still a puppy, but she's a big puppy, so she... Uh, she likes to. Uh, she doesn't really know the meaning of like be quiet or recording a podcast. So she may you may hear a little bit of her in the background, but if you can't, just ignore it. It's just uh, authentic. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is what you get. You get what you pay for, and this podcast is free. So um, anyway, we just wrapped up SEC Media Days. Um, it's a fun time of year. It's for like the unofficial kickoff of college football. Um, so we thought now would be a good time to go ahead and jump back into it. Um, you know, there was uh, a lot of things going on this year. Um, it's the last year without Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I don't know if you saw that Texas and Oklahoma actually had some reporters there, which was like, I thought kind of odd. But uh, was there anything about SEC Media Days that stood out to you? Well, one thing that I was paying attention to is what Brian Kelly said about artificial intelligence. I forgot who it was that asked him about it. But Brian Kelly said that he thinks that there will be a way to incorporate artificial intelligence in the future uh, when it comes to recruiting. And I think even in, um, in the film room, too, which Brian Kelly, I mean, that's a way of him to appeal, I think, to the upcoming generation of recruits, too. He's just one step ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely interesting to hear him talk about that. It's not something that I expected to hear about. Um, but, yeah, he says it's something that he's going to use in not only game planning, but also recruiting kind of to um, take, like, I don't know if they're going to be trying to uh, – like determine people's personalities through this stuff, like to try to figure out if they're the right fit for the team. And uh, not exactly sure how that's going to work, but it is kind of intriguing. It does seem like he's a little bit ahead of the curve there. Um, so I'm, you know, interested to see how that turns out. Um, 
a lot of people are picking LSU to win the SEC this year, which is kind of, you know, it's a little surprising to me. I mean, they, they were good last year, and they won the West. Um, so it's been uh, um, <clears throat> it's, it's been kind of surprising to me, though, just to see everyone just be like, oh, yeah, well, they're going to beat Alabama now, even though the game is in Tuscaloosa this year. And uh, Nick Saban is not, not going anywhere. He's still the coach at Alabama. But um, a lot of people are excited about LSU this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to – admittedly say that I am pretty high on LSU. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying they're going to win the SEC, but um, if you had to ask me to pick a winner for the SEC West today, um, my pick would be LSU. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Um, you know, obviously we will do our predictions a little bit uh, later on, uh, just a little tease there. Um, but I don't know if I'm ready to, to pick LSU in the West this year. Um just uh, it, it isn't anything against LSU. It's just that I, I think people are a little too quick to give up on Alabama. And you know, like I said, that game is in Tuscaloosa this year. And really, only the only other game that I'm looking at is a potential loss for Alabama. I think is that Texas game, and obviously that's not a conference game, so it's not going to count towards the standings. Watch out for A&M too. Yeah, I'm not worried. The Jimbo about Fisher special. Yeah, and I <laughs> we jumping into Jimbo. He was one of the first people that uh, that spoke this year, and. Um, I mean, he really did not do a good job of uh, putting people's minds at ease about the uh, who's calling the plays this year. You know, I think the really simple thing would have been to just say, like, you know, by Petrino's offense coordinator, he's going to be calling the plays. But he really gave a kind of a um, a very unclear answer about who's going to be calling the plays this year. And I think that was just – it's just kind of a bad look because, you know, he's already in a tough spot. Um, obviously, we went 5-7 and seven last year. And, um, you know, I think people were – really looking forward to someone else calling the plays and kind of, you know, him giving up the reins a little bit, but it doesn't appear that's going to be the case from what I heard. No, and um, I think the hire of Bobby Petrino, a lot of people are going to say they're against it, but I'm not against that move at all. I mean, Jimbo Fisher, he's got his back against the wall. There is still a lot of talent in College Station, and if I was Jimbo Fisher, I would definitely let Bobby Petrino have input on the play calling, and he's got to be stop being so stubborn. Um, the offense that he runs now – is not Florida State of 2013 anymore. Um, you got to completely reinvent yourself, and if he doesn't do it, um, he's going to be out of his way, on his way out of College Station um, in December. Yep, and uh, you know Texas A&M. Um, I'm not so I'm not super high on them this year, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm not going to go full deep dive. They do have some really good receivers. I think their defense has a chance to be really good this year. Um, you know, I'm a little concerned about Bobby Petrino. Like, I don't know if he's really going to come in and solve all the problems. Um, I think kind of having two alpha males in that um, offensive, uh, you know, film room um, and play calling, I, I just not, I'm not sure how well that's going to work out. Yeah, I mean, with those two, Jimbo and Bobby, it's either going to be a hell of a move and we're going to be praising it in December or it's going to come completely come crashing down. I mean, there's not going to be any in between. I don't think there's going to be a – Six and six, seven and five team, I think you're either going to see them win nine or ten games or they're going to win four or five. I don't think there's any in between with them. Yeah, and then that trip to Miami in week two is obviously going to be a, a big uh, litmus test for them, um, obviously for both teams. I mean, Miami is also in a position where they really need to start showing something. So that's going to be a really intriguing game in week two. I'm excited about that one too. And uh, Tyler Van Dyke, like it's really put up a shut up for him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they got a new offense coordinator too. Um, but anyway, moving on to – we'll just go ahead and move on to Alabama. Um, you know, there was a, a 
Saban was asked about the quarterback situation. Looks like they got three guys going for it. Um, and uh, he, he made some comment about a cake. You don't want to take a cake out too early before it's done baking. You know, that's why you can't talk about who the quarterback's going to be. What, what do you think? Who do you think is going to be the quarterback? And did you take anything away from, from what he said? You know, this quarterback situation this year reminds me similarly to the 2015 season. I'm sure you may remember that year. We had Jacob Coker and uh, Cooper Bateman were at the top of the list. Um, this year, in most way, most people's circles, it's really going to be between Ty Simpson and Buckner. And, of course, Buckner comes from Notre Dame, played under the new offensive coordinator who came from Notre Dame, Tommy Reese. And most will say he probably has the lead. Saban's never <clears> going <throat> to disclose that. He doesn't want any other future defensive coordinators that are going against him this year to know that as either. But I would have to say that I think Buckner will ultimately win the job. But I do think it, um, in the beginning of the season, um, those two guys are going to get some snaps. Wouldn't be surprised if Milrow gets mixed in either. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Milrow being put in some special packages too. But to me, if you had to ask me, it's going to be between Buckner and Ty Simpson. Yeah, I mean, looking at Alabama's offense this year, I, I definitely expect more uh, running the ball a little bit more of those older Alabama teams from the you know 2012 and earlier. Um, those teams that just are just they're just going to run it right down your throat. Big offensive line. Um, they do have some offensive linemen returning, but that was sort of a, a tough spot for them last year. They got some good young receivers. Um, you know, but that quarterback is really going to make the difference in whether they're back to being a national title contender or whether they're just a 10-win team, um, which, I mean, most teams would kill to be a 10-win team in Alabama. That's, just, like, disappointing. So really says a lot about Nick Saban and what all he's been able to do there. Um, but uh, I don't really like spending too much time talking about Alabama, and I don't really like spending a lot of time talking about Georgia either. So let's just go ahead and get that one over with. Uh, Kirby Smart didn't say anything. He never does. Um, he's very coach-speaky. Um, didn't really get too much out of Notre Dame. I mean, out of uh, – still got the Alabama. It's been a long day. Up. Yeah. I was actually working all day today, uh, even though it's Sunday. I was trying to get some overtime in. But uh, anyway. Um, yeah, there's nothing at, really exciting about Georgia. Yeah, um, Georgia's really boring. I mean, obviously um, – The roster's amazing. I mean, yeah. what else can we say? I mean, there's, there's not really a lot of question marks with that team. Uh, there's no question marks with their schedule. I mean, I think everyone knows there's really only maybe one game on their schedule that people have circled that could be a potential loss. But other than that, I mean, they should run the table. Yeah. I mean, I think the real question is if they lose a game, are they still going to be in the top four with that schedule? Because, I mean, I think looking at the top teams in the country, like, of course, they're going to be considered one of the four best teams by the end of the year, but they won't have any good wins. If they lose a game, they're going to, it's really going to be a tough spot for them. So, almost like they have to go undefeated. It's like Clemson last year. Yeah, very similar. And uh, I, I still don't understand why they had to cancel the Oklahoma series because, I mean, Alabama's playing Texas, and they didn't cancel that. So, I don't understand why them and Oklahoma had to cancel their series. Yeah, Oklahoma had to cancel a couple series. They lost the series at Georgia, and they were supposed to have a renewal of their series with Tennessee too but hey I think they're gonna be happy coming in the SEC too they're gonna get a lot of great road trips coming up soon oh yeah and I definitely plan to make it down to Austin at least one game next year um, so I'm really looking forward to that and uh I mean we kind of decided we were gonna go to a game this year I don't know if we've officially officially decided but looking like we might take a trip to that uh South Carolina or that uh <laughs> sorry take a trip to South the wrong Carolina team in South Carolina for that uh Florida State Clemson game um, which is a game we were supposed to attend last year. Yeah, but we couldn't because uh, Alex and Ashley got sick. 
They did get sick. Did although, get, did they really get sick? Yeah, or we is found it, out later that she was actually pregnant. So. Yeah. I think it was all a cover-up. But, you know, congratulations to both of them, too. I mean, that, at least, that was a good excuse. But at least we did get to see the Alabama-Tennessee game last year, which we would not have gotten to see if we did go to that game. Yeah. I mean, we'd end up in the, you know, grand scheme of things, we ended up seeing the game of the year in the SEC last year. We got to watch that live. And so I don't have any regrets on it. I do want to make it to Doak Campbell Stadium some point and i wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if dope campbell stadium will be an sec stadium but that is a conversation for another day yeah we have plenty of time to talk about uh, the potential um, expansion results going forward but uh moving on to another coach who's very coach speaking doesn't really give you anything but we'll still spend a few minutes talking about the florida gators um you know billy napier sunbelt billy as some people have, re- have now referred to him as um, didn't really have a whole lot to offer. A lot of people are kind of down on them this year. 5.5 total wins on the Vegas win total this year. Um, so definitely a lot of question marks going to year two for Florida. Yeah, I mean, the defense is going to be their biggest strength this year. Um, but their offense um, is pretty anemic. And last year, um, Anthony Richardson, you can make the argument, is the main reason they were able to get to a bowl. And you can just circle back to that Utah game, first game of the season. Um, but they don't have Anthony Richardson anymore. They got to replace him as a as from a quarterback standpoint. And uh, Florida's schedule is not doing him any favors this year. Either. It's a tougher schedule than last year. Uh, Billy Napier's got his work cut out. That five and a half, I think, is a pretty reasonable benchmark. And I mean, a lot of Florida fans um, they have higher expectations in that they're expected to win in Gainesville. Um, but I do think five and a half is pretty reasonable. And uh, you know. I, it's hard to ask those fans to be patient, um, but this year I think if you can get to six wins and get to a bowl, um, that would be a uh, season, at least to me, of uh, meeting expectations, maybe even slightly over-meeting expectations. Yeah, I mean, I, think, I do think that with the way that he's recruiting, that as long as they're not terrible this year, he will get another year um, because their recruiting class so far this year is looking really good, which is a positive if you're a Florida fan. Um, that was obviously the big concern with Dan Mullen, and that's a big reason why they're in the position that they're in now. Um, you know, obviously the transfer portal is one thing, but then Dan Mullen just was not an outstanding recruiter. Not a terrible recruiter, but just not up to Florida standards. Um, not Shoot, so now in NIL, he wouldn't even have to recruit. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> just pay them to come there. Yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> I, Dan Mullen would almost be like a perfect fit at a place like Texas A&M, like somewhere where he, you know he doesn't actually have to recruit. The oil money just going to buy who they ever, whoever they want in that state. Just like let him be the coach and let him worry about football, and then hire you know someone else to just be the recruiter, like the recruiting guy who goes out with the you know the uh, the bags of cash and everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, NIL has changed the dynamics of recruiting, and uh, now you just don't have to have a cool personality and be a cool coach for players to go to. They're going to go where the money goes. But I will admit, I do like uh, Dan Mullen on on ESPN. I think he does a pretty good job. Oh, he's a good analyst. Um, a lot of people don't like Dan Mullen as a person, but I think as an analyst, um, he's a he's really good, solid, great insight, really um, expert. His expertise with the X's and O's is um, top of the line. And um, I mean, I'd like to see him coach again, but I wouldn't mind just having him in the booth for the rest of his career either. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and moving on to another uh, – Team for Media Days, someone who does like to talk a lot, and that is Eli Drinkwitz. He, that that man is not afraid of a microphone. 
No, he's not. He definitely is a man that loves to hear himself talk. He is full of one-liners and calling out other coaches and other programs. And um, there was a uh, quote, I'm not trying to switch this topic here to another coach, but there was a quote from another SEC East coach that he was asked, who would you want to fight? And um, that coach was Shane Beamer who was being asked that, I think about Barstool, but I can't remember who it was, but um, Beamer was asked that, and um, he said that there was another coach in the conference that he wants to fight. And my belief is he was referring to Eli Jinkwitz. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure. I was trying to think about that while you were talking. I definitely would not want to fight um, Sam Pittman. I think he'd probably be the last coach i want to fight. I think – I feel like Kirby probably wouldn't put up too much of a fight, but he, he did play safety for Georgia. So, I mean, maybe he is a decent athlete. But uh, – Shane Beamer seems like kind of a little guy. Like, I don't know. I don't know how big he is. is yeah, he... I mean, honestly, there's really a lot of coaches in the SEC that would not, aren't that intimidating. I would not <laughs> want. sad to say that. <laughs> I would not want a piece of Mark Stoops. See, I think Mark Stoops probably has the meanest streak in him. If we had to pick a coach in the SEC that if he loses his temper, he's going to really lose his temper – I think it would be Mark Stoops. I mean, Nick Saban, you know, he's notorious for, um, you know, showing his displeasure. But, I mean, the stature compared to Mark Stoops. Uh, Mark Stoops is someone I would not want to mess with. Yeah, and Saban is older, too. But another one who not a lot of people know yet because he's new to the SEC, Zach Arnett. I mean, he's a really young guy. He's probably like – he's like 35, 38, somewhere in that range maybe. I'm not sure exactly how old he is. But um, he's a younger guy, and he's someone else I wouldn't want to mess with. He was a – He's like an all-conference linebacker um, in his time in New Mexico. So I don't know if I'd want to mess with him either. But truthfully, I would not want to fight any coaches in the SEC, if I'm being honest. No, I mean, there may be one or two that we could, you and I could probably take. Uh, we're not going to disclose that because we're not embarrassed. I mean, if we're, if we're teaming up, then that's a different story. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm a pretty big guy, so I feel like some of the smaller coaches like Bamer and Saban, like, I could probably handle. But I don't know. I'd rather not find out. But uh, anyway, going back to Eli Drinkwitz. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to get us off on a tangent there, but I was just using that as an example. I mean, we were talking about Drinkwitz, and yeah, I mean, like I said, he is a guy that likes to hear himself talk, and he is not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, I think at uh, Media Days last year, um, he was calling out, um, I think, the University of Tennessee for some of their violations they had under the Pruitt era, and it didn't sit well with Hype, Josh Heupel, their coach, and I think... Part of the reason maybe why Tennessee ran up the score at the end of their game. Um, so, Drinkwitz could have been talking about Josh Heupel, too. Or not Drinkwitz, but Beamer could have been talking about Josh Heupel. Um, but I do think that um, Drinkwitz is, has a way of ruffling feathers in the SEC. I mean, of course, he ruffled feathers, the feathers with uh, Dan Mullen a few years ago, too. Yep. Yeah, they sure did. And um, I'm still not exactly sure how I feel about Eli Drinkwitz. I mean, he really has not had a quarterback. So, it, it's really hard to say – how good of a play caller he actually is because he hasn't had that quarterback who can make those plays. Um, we've seen flashes from them. We've seen a couple of good games from their offense, but just not a lot of consistency. And I think defensively, they're supposed to be pretty good this year. So if they can get that offense going, they, they could kind of be the surprise team in the East, I think. But, uh, you know, if this isn't a good year for Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz, and I think, you know, we're going to start, you know, being like, all right, is this ever going to work out here? Or do they need to move in a different direction? Yeah, and I do like Brady Cook. Of course, that's you know something that we will explore in the coming weeks when we get to our previews. But I think that Brady Cook uh, can have a really solid season too. And I do like Missouri. Uh, I think maybe more than most people do too. 
Yeah, then switching over to uh, their completely non-fake-generated uh, rival, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Um, you know, Sam Pittman was always a, a good interview. He's a really uh, funny guy. He, knows, he also knows his way around a microphone. Um, but I think most of the talk around Arkansas was actually around the quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. Um, I think there's a lot of talk this year that he's the best quarterback coming back in the SEC. Do you, do you have him as a top quarterback, or do you have him in top three, or where do you have him? Yeah, K.J. Jefferson um, would probably be my number one quarterback in the SEC, and that's no disrespect to the other quarterbacks in the SEC. we got some really solid ones. Um, Jaden Daniels at LSU, everyone likes him. Um, a lot of people are really high on Joe Milton at Tennessee. Um, but I, I, if I had to pick a quarterback in the SEC that I would want right now, to lead my team next year, it would be K.J. Jefferson. Yeah, there's some other quarterbacks with some higher ceilings, obviously, like uh, Milton at Tennessee, Rattler at South Carolina, um, you know, just some other guys who have a little bit more upside than him. It's just in terms of a passer. Um, and just like you said, Jaden Daniels um, was really solid last year, really good all-around quarterback. But I think K.J. Jefferson hasn't beat a little bit. Um, so – I mean, what I'm looking at with Arkansas this year is, um, you know, obviously they bring back uh, Enos, the offense coordinator from the Bielema days, and um, he's been he was at Maryland, he was at Miami before that, um, and he was with Alabama for a while. So uh, he's been around. He's been around some good offenses. Um, my concern with him is a lot more with uh, just the lack of uh, explosive plays. I want to yeah. see more explosive plays from from him. And I don't know what that's going to look like this year. Um, obviously, Rocket Sanders in the backfield is one of the best uh, running backs in the country. And we know that KJ Jefferson can do running and throwing. So I, I expect Arkansas to be a little bit more of a ball control offense this year. Um, not as many explosive plays as we saw under Kendall Bryles. And try to protect that defense a little bit. Because that defense really, really struggled last year. Especially the secondary. I think they had a lot more passing yards than anyone in college football last year. So I think they really want to help out that defense by, you know, holding on to the ball a little bit more offensively. Exactly. Yeah, their defense uh, struggled mightily last year. I think we just discredited how many guys they really lost from that team from uh, 2021 where their defense um, was phenomenal. And you got to give a lot of credit, you know, to Barry Odom um, when he was there. And, um, yeah, going back to, uh, you know, with Dan Enos, you go um, into the NFL, the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, the famous Jalen Hurts, um, if you had to ask him, what was his biggest turnaround at Alabama? Dan Enos would be the person that he would um, make mention of because he was the guy that helped um, revamp his um, tools. And I mean, look how he's, you know, he stayed there. I mean, of course, that's another story that we can always talk about. But, but very similar skill set to KJ Jefferson. Exactly. Jefferson's a lot, a lot bigger than Hertz is, but, you know, pretty similar skill sets. So. Yeah. And Enos helped uh, revamp, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts' mechanics. And I think it's only going to help KJ Jefferson, too. And then. I wouldn't be surprised to see K.J. Jefferson as a top-end NFL prospect, um, you know, next day, next year in April. Yeah, and we already talked about Texas A&M. Um, so let's just move on to just pick a random one in Vanderbilt. Um, not really anything exciting happened with them. They have some stuff going on where they're building some new facilities, so that's good to see. Um, you know, that's always been my thing with Vanderbilt is, like, I, I just wish they would be a little bit more committed to football. Like, I'm not saying – that they're ever going to be on like the level of like Alabama and Georgia or Tennessee, but you know it would be nice to just see them put forth a little bit more effort. Um, so it is good to see that they're donating some money to the facilities, and hopefully that'll lead to better recruiting. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, Clark Lee, um, you know, compared to a lot of other SEC coaches, he's not the most exciting personality, um, but he's what Vanderbilt needs. He's he's such a good guy, easy to root for. Um, we want him to do well. And um, I will say uh, um, Vanderbilt is a could be a potential surprise team for me. Um, not going to say it yet, but I would not be surprised um, if they're challenging for a bowl. Yeah, and that that's the thing is um... – you know, Vanderbilt, they won two SEC games last year. So, I mean, that's a step up. I mean, I think a lot of people predicted them to go 0-8. So, they won two SEC games. They beat Florida and Kentucky. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I I look at that Ole Miss game. I mean, that was a game last year that they were in for most of the game. And Ole Miss scored some garbage touchdowns late to make it look like a blowout. But that was actually a, a pretty close game for a lot of it. I think that's a game that, you know, you look at, maybe they could come up and surprise somebody. Um, you know, Missouri is a team that they is. I think is a team that they look at as a, a team that they could beat. Exactly. And then you know, Kentucky and I mean, Kentucky and Florida again, also. Yeah, and of course, I've already glanced at their schedule too. I mean, it's very reasonable for uh, Missouri or not Missouri for Vanderbilt to potentially start four and zero if you look at their schedule, and uh, that's going to put them in position. You know, going into October um, when they do play, um, you know, Missouri and Kentucky, um, to where they can try to get enough wins to get to a bowl. But if you can get that hot start, um, things can get really exciting in Nashville in a hurry. Yeah, it's just – it's really hard for these academic schools in the transfer portal era because they can't take transfers like these other schools can because it's really hard to transfer into a school like Vanderbilt. You know, you can't just come in. They, they can't just accept transfers like, uh, you know, like schools like Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia can. So uh, that's something that they're dealing with, Northwestern, Stanford, um, even schools like Georgia Tech are dealing with. Um, so that's just something – that's just kind of a disadvantage that they're at. But I still think they could be a, a you know regular six-win type team if they can just, uh, you know, put forth like that little bit of extra effort. Yeah, and I, I can't remember what the uh, odds were for Vanderbilt. I haven't even got a chance to look at it. Was it, what, what maybe four and a half? Let's four point five. I don't have that on hand. Let's see if I can look that up real quick. I am really curious. Um, I, I, part of me thinks it is four point five, and I mean that is a pretty reasonable line. But I'm not going to reveal what I have right now for their total wins this year. But I did say about what two minutes ago that they could very well be challenging for a bowl this year. Yep, according to SportsBettingDime.com, they're at three point five. Hmm. I want to get rich people. Yeah, so go ahead and take put, the over. Go ahead and uh, put your bets in now. I know JB's a big, a big betting man now. He's Mister, uh, Mister Vegas. Yeah, and of course that's another conversation we can have about which uh, websites and sports betting apps that we like the most. I don't think you do as much as I do, but I definitely float around between um, the various apps and try to take advantage of the promos um, whenever they're offered. And someone who looks like he likes to gamble, I'm not sure if he does or not, but uh, Lane Kiffin um, spoke uh, at Media Days. And, JB, he did not get asked one question about his football team. Yeah, because, I mean, Lane Kiffin's one of those coaches that, just like Eli Drinkwitz and Shane Beamer to some extent, he will speak his mind and say whatever the hell he wants to say. Um, And I think it's funny because he did mention during his um, press conference that – Sankey advised him to not answer some of these questions, too, because he knows that Kiffin's just going to say whatever the hell he wants to say. And I think the funniest thing is that last year he complained about the NIL, 
and um, basically legalizing cheating. And then this year, he complained even more about the NIL. And I just take it, my takeaway is that he's just um, complaining to the Ole Miss boosters and NILs clubs. Like, you got to give me a break here, man. I'm a good recruiter. Players like to come play for me, but you're not giving them enough money. I'm losing all these guys to LSU and Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is what it seems like. It does seem like he's talking directly to the boosters um, when he does that. Um, you know, and I mean, looking at Ole Miss this year, obviously they bring in uh, the defensive coordinator from Alabama, and, you know, I, I think I think that's an upgrade for them. But, um, you know, he was kind of shown the door a little bit at Alabama. Um, I think he, you know, he had some success at UTSA before going to Alabama, and it's not like he was bad at Alabama. They just didn't play up to Alabama's standards. Um, but with Ole Miss, you really just want to see more consistent, more consistency in stopping the run, and that's been, I mean, that's been an issue for Ole Miss going all the way back to the Hugh Freeze era. I mean, they just really Poor struggled defensively. defensively. Yeah, that's always been their Achilles' heel. Offense has never been an issue. Um, Hugh Freeze, Matt Luke, Lane Kiffin, doesn't matter who's been their coach and. They've always had a good offense. Yeah, and Quinshawn Judkins. Judkins. Yeah, Quinshawn Judkins, and of course, you know Jackson Dart. I mean, he's a pretty solid quarterback. He's he's not you know Matt Corral, but um, Kiffin's going to give him you know plays and put him in position to make the most of it too. Yeah, and I mean, I think offensively they should be a pretty solid team. They don't have um, the explosive receivers like they're used to having, but they bring in a couple transfers again. Another one from UTSA. Um, so uh, they bring another one from Louisiana Tech. So um, some good transfers coming in, but it is their first year in the system. Jackson Dart, um, you know, was good, but maybe not as good as some people expected him. Um, I don't, you know, those transfer ratings, I still don't understand how they work. He was like a 99 five-star transfer. <laughs> and I don't know. He, wasn't, he wasn't that good coming out of high school, and he wasn't that good at USC, so I don't even understand how they came up with that. But. Yeah, the transfer portals really just changed the dynamics of programs, too. I mean, now when a coach takes over a program, you could really just invade the transfer portal, and you can get yourself almost an instant turnaround with some programs just with the revamping. And it's it's and also on the front end of recruiting, too, these coaches that lose out on recruits to the first go-around, they're going to have a chance at them again potentially one or two years later just because of the transfer portal. And it may be, it's not always going to be because the guy's not getting enough playing time, but it could be, where's my money, man? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, not only do you have to worry about, you know, bringing in transfers, but you got to worry about players leaving your program. I mean, that's something that every school has to deal with. And um, I think that's a big thing in college football now and college sports in general. You know, is, is even schools like Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M lose guys to the transfer portal like everybody does. It's just the difference is some of those schools are able to replace those players, you know, at a better rate. Like some, you know, some like lower level power five teams and group of five teams, they can't find another guy like at that talent level. That's the issue. And, you know, guys that do show out like, you know, a school like a UTSA or, a, you know, a Memphis or a Charlotte – a player that was under-recruited coming out of high school, if he has one awesome freshman or sophomore season, those schools are not going to be able to afford to keep those kind of players. And that's when bigger programs from the Power Five like the SEC are going to swoop in and steal those kind of players. Yeah. And, um, you know, just going back to Jackson Dart real quick, if I can just wrap up. I mean, he was uh, good at times last year, but not – as good as a lot of Lane Kiffin quarterbacks usually are. And I was really surprised to see them bring in Spencer Sanders. Um, I don't think he's even projected to be the starter. I'm still really confused on how exactly he ended up at Ole Miss. 
Um, but that's a really solid backup to have, someone who has a ton of experience um, in the SEC. Um, and then obviously getting a transfer from Walker from LSU, Walker Howard, uh, really highly recruited out of high school, and he's going to be a, a redshirt freshman this year. So, uh, you know, he definitely looks to be the quarterback of the future there. Yeah, I mean, Spencer Sanders to me is really good insurance policy for Lane Kiffin. I mean, I'm not really following the quarterback situation in Oxford as much. I want to wait till training camp starts. But I would have to say that uh, Jackson Dart probably still is the ringleader. Oh, yeah. No, I think that is the consensus out of Oxford right now is he's, he's supposedly the guy. But, you know, just like you said, we really never know until we get into fall camp. Um, but that's just sort of the sense uh, of everything right now. Um, and then moving on to um, a place where they're not at all worried about who their quarterback's going to be, and that's South Carolina. Uh, Spencer Rattler, um, you know, Shane Baber is, definitely loves to get up there and talk. He's another guy who just – he loves being. He he seems like he loves being the center of attention, and he loves running. A, basically, running a promo for South Carolina. They had a little, um, a little skit where they were making fun of the office. Did you see that? I did. That was a really good skit. It was good. It was good. Um, you know, I didn't really take away a whole lot from what he said, even though he did talk a lot. Um, you know, with Rattler, I think it's the same thing we've been saying about him. I mean, we just. We got to see the consistency from him. We've seen the flashes. We've seen the really good games, but we got to see more consistency from him. And obviously, they bring over, um, you know, offense coordinator from Arkansas. Um, what's his name, JB? Double Loggins. Yeah. So they bring him over. Um, there was a lot, a little um, skepticism about bringing him over. It was. Um, of course, he called out Gene. Shane, Come on, Gene. He called out Gene for that one, um, but. Uh, I mean, to me, Spencer Rattler obviously needs to be more consistent, but they really struggled running the ball last year, and they lost their running back. Um, you know, so that's that's definitely a really tough loss for them. Um, so I, I expect them to throw the ball for a lot of yards this year and to be an explosive offense, but I don't know how consistent they're going to be. Yeah. I mean, South Carolina, there's a lot of ways you can look at them this year. I mean, they have been a sexy pick for some to – Challenge, I guess Tennessee for number, for second in the East and make that leap. But there's some on the other side of the coin that could see them falling flat on their face. I think the over/under last I saw was five and a half. I've seen it as high as six and a half. Um, but it is kind of funny just uh, looking at those. And uh, you know, last year, you know, going into those final two games against Tennessee and Clemson, I think. Most people were just expecting for Clemson to get – or not Clemson, for South Carolina to get their asses kicked. Instead, they knocked Tennessee out of the playoff and they knocked Clemson out of the playoff back-to-back weeks. So, I mean, that was a great ending to the season. And then, of course, they had their uh, bowl victory too. I mean, that was a lot of momentum. And, you know, Spencer Rattler coming back, that was a huge win for them, keeping him in Columbia. I mean, fans in Columbia, you know, have a lot of reason to be excited this year. Yeah, and I do have to correct you that they did lose their bowl game in Notre Dame. They did lose their bowl game in That's, Notre Dame. You're right. They, it's been a long they, day. They, they did get a lead. They did get a lead early in that game, but uh, they did. <laughs> Notre, Notre Dame did come back and win that one. But it was still a really exciting finish to the season. And um, you know, I mean, I would not fault any South Carolina fans for being excited for this year. I mean, I definitely understand where that's coming from. Um, I just don't know if they're going to be able to win consistently enough to challenge for the East. But I do think that they're a good enough team to where they can pull an upset somewhere along the way, whether it be, you know, another win against Tennessee, you know, maybe whether they play uh, 
uh, Georgia really close, or maybe even go on the road and beat Texas A&M. I mean, I, I think there's some opportunities there for them. Or beat Clemson again at home. Yeah, that's obviously an, another one. I mean, a rivalry game, you, 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 I mean, you know, all the cliches, throw the records out the window, all that stuff. Yeah. So that's always going to be a, it's always going to be a big game. Um, and another team in the East um, that's kind of flying under the radar, and I'm not really sure why, but uh, Kentucky. Um, you know, obviously they bring back. Uh, Liam, is it Cohen? Liam Cohn. Cohn. Yeah, I always mispronounce it, but it was there two years ago. Uh, went back to the NFL, came back. Um, that offense a couple years ago was actually pretty good. I mean, it was he, explosive. He I mean, uh, it, it wasn't a typical Kentucky offense. That was really the one year that they were um, more than just like a ground and pound offense. Um, and then, you know, obviously they bring over um, Leary, the quarterback from NC State. Um, who had a lot of success over there. I think he's from, like, New Jersey or something, I want to say. He is, yeah. And, you know, you talk to a lot of Kentucky fans, you know, that are big fans of the program. Folks in Lexington are hoping with Lane Cone coming back to run the offense and a big-time transfer, Devin Leary, coming from NC State, that they're hoping to catch the same fire that they had two years ago when Will Levis transferred in from Penn State. And that offense was just you know, exceptionally explosive. Last year they struggled without Cone. Um, you know, the offensive line had their share of struggles, especially for a ground-and-pound type team. But I think there's a lot of reason to be excited in Lexington this year. I mean, Mark Stoops has built a consistent program every year. They're expected to go to bowls. And I think in every game that they play, they're expected to be competitive, even against the top dogs. Yeah, that's right. And I, really with Kentucky – um, it's just the one hurdle has just always been that Georgia game. I mean, they it seems like they've been competitive with everyone else, um, but Georgia is just like that one game that they just can't really get over. I mean, you can't really blame them. I mean, Georgia's been awesome the last few years. No Georgia's a juggernaut. I mean, they have all the talent. They have a great culture and coaching staff in place. Um, it's going to be hard for them to, to be beaten. I mean, a lot of ways, Georgia is the new Alabama, you know, from Alabama from the late 2000s through the mid you know, 2010s, that's really what Georgia is now. I mean, they are the top dog. I mean, not to discredit Alabama. Alabama is still a top-tier program. Um, but most people are going to tell you that uh, Georgia has taken the reins as the, uh, you know, the most feared team in the SEC. Yeah. And I just don't think there's really any – aside from that Georgia game, I don't think there's one game you look at on that schedule if you're a Kentucky fan and think, you know, we don't have any chance of winning that game. I think the Georgia game you probably have marked down as a loss. But I think all other 11 games – um, you know, you look at it and you're like, that's a game we can win. Um, and then one thing to watch for with Kentucky, though, um, that's not SEC-related, but, uh, you know, Braum coming back to Louisville, um, that's obviously gonna a really big hire for them. And, um, you know, that's I think that rivalry just got taken up a notch with, uh, with them uh, bringing him from Purdue. Um, very explosive um, offense, very fun coach, and obviously played at Louisville. So um, that's a – going to be kind of an intriguing it's, I mean rivalry games are always intriguing but I'm really looking forward to see how that rivalry goes moving forward oh me too I love the hire of Jeff Brom at uh, Louisville I mean going back to your alma mater I mean Purdue you really got as far as he could take them Purdue is just not an easy program to win at and going to Louisville, they have some better resources there, in my opinion. So, And, of course, that being his alma mater, that was a great move for Jeff Brom, great move for Louisville. And that's only going to amplify that Kentucky-Louisville rivalry going forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, one, uh, speaking of explosive offenses, um, one coach at SEC Media Days that I thought was going to be a lot more intriguing that was actually very, very boring 
was uh, Hugh Freeze down at Auburn. Um, you know, obviously he comes in from Liberty. We all know uh, his track record with Ole Miss. Um, you know, back uh, I believe he was there from see it was about 2012 until 2016. So That's correct. Five 2016 year, was his last year. Five year period there. Beat Alabama twice. Um, you know, went to the Sugar Bowl in 2015. Uh, went to the Peach Bowl in 2014. So kind of had some really good teams there. And um, you know, it's a. Uh, I was expecting at least something uh, to come out of that, whether it be like a really awkward, like kind of aggressive question about his past, um, or you know, just some, I expected something to happen. But nothing really did. It was very, you know, basic and by the book, and he didn't. He wasn't really pressed on anything. Um, but uh, you know, I think Auburn is a team that I'm looking at this year as someone who can pull. I don't know if pulling upset is necessarily what I, what I expect, but I, I would expect them to like. I would not be surprised at all. If you know going into the fourth quarter against Georgia, that's like a one possession game. Yeah, that's the other game for Georgia's schedule. That you know, besides the one game at the end of the year against their East opponent, that I think could be the only potential loss. There is one early in the season when they play in the Plains at Auburn. That's early in the season. There's going to be a lot of um, you know, ex- high, you know, high expectations and tension in Auburn. There's going to be a lot of you know excitement for that game. And Hugh Freeze, you know, he is known for having quick turnarounds everywhere he's been. He had it at Arkansas State. He had it at Ole Miss. He took over a 2-10 and program at Ole Miss and got him to six wins the following year and got him to a bowl. I mean, who would have ever expected that? And I'm really high on Auburn this year. I really think they can surprise a lot of people. I mean, you got to say, Brian Harson was just a horrible fit in Auburn. Um, there's still a lot of talent on the Plains, and Auburn – can definitely be a uh, you know seven to nine win team this year. I don't think they're going to be a team that's not going to go to a bowl. I think they're going to have you know plenty of wins to uh, put them in a nice bowl this year. Yeah, and I I definitely agree with that. You know, going back to what you were saying about his first year at Ole Miss was um, really really big like turnaround season for them. Um, I think that he's someone who can come in and uh, and get the team rallied and believing in each other and everything like that. Um, and he's also the kind of coach that he just circles like two or three games a year, and you just know that his team's going to come to play for those two or three games. That Georgia game is probably the most circled game for him. I mean, I, you have to think that Georgia and Alabama are going to be two of those games. And then Both Ole, at home. And then Ole Miss also, um, you know, obviously reunion with them, I think it's a game that he's probably got circled as well. Um, you know, obviously – you know, maybe maybe Arkansas, he's got a little bit of a connection there. And then Mississippi State as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was a Mississippi State reporter that actually got him fired um, at Ole Miss. I don't know if he holds any grudges against Mississippi State for that. But um, I don't know. There's just a couple of games that I think that he'll probably have circled um, that I would definitely expect Auburn to be ready to play for. And, I mean, even last year when they – they weren't good. I mean, they still managed to play close in some games. You Every expect. game they were close. I mean, they weren't a horrible team. I just think that they had a horrible culture, and that, go, that goes to the head coach they had, Brian Harson. There was a lot of distractions. and I mean, Hugh Freeze is known for getting the most out of his roster. And I mean, I really like Auburn this year. I mean, we'll obviously talk about him more you know, in a few weeks when we do previews with them. But um, I'm really high on Auburn. I mean, Hugh Freeze is a magician, getting the most out of his talent. He's going to get a quick turnaround. Yeah, I think it's really just going to depend on um, the transfers. I mean, they hit the transfer portal really hard 
they got some really highly recruited players out of it, but you know, it, it's just what is the hit rate there? What's the hit rate on those transfers? If it's you know 70, 80 percent, then yeah, they could be a non-win team this year. You know, if it's 30, 25 percent, then okay, they're probably going to be like a six-win type team. It's, it's really still better just, than last year, right? I mean, I think it's really just going to come down to how well those transfers do. Um, you know, Peyton Thorne, not the most exciting quarterback ever, but he does have experience. Um, and I think he's got enough talent for Hugh Freeze to work with. Robbie Ashford, um, I don't expect him to be the starter, but I do expect him to play a lot. And, man, like, I, I just love watching him play. Like, he's not the best, the most accurate quarterback ever, but he just seems like someone who loves to play, and he seems like someone who brings a lot of energy. And I just really enjoy, uh, really enjoy watching him play. Me too. <laughs> All right, so we'll just move on. Um, <laughs> Didn't really have much yeah, to add. Yeah, I, I, you I pretty much said everything I needed to say. Okay, good. <laughs> like, I thought you were going to say something, and then you just froze, and I was like, all right, we'll just All right, uh, so I think we have two teams left, uh, so we'll um, go with Tennessee next. Um, I think most of the talk is going to be around um, the quarterback, Joe Milton. Obviously, was it Michigan initially transferred into Tennessee when Heupel took the job, or maybe he was there before that. I'm not sure. But he won the job when Heupel first got there, um, had a couple of rough games, got benched for Hendon Hooker, and then Hendon Hooker went on to be, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks in Tennessee history, I would argue. Um, you know, probably should have been invited to New York last year. Um, definitely should have, in my opinion. Um, but Joe Milton stuck around. He didn't transfer again, and now it looks like he's going to be the starter. You know, everyone talks about his arm and how, you know, far he throws it. Uh, Manning Passing Academy, that's all anybody was talking about. Did you take anything away from um, what happened or anything that happened with Tennessee at Media Days, or what, what are you thinking about outlook for them this season? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing Josh Heupel said at Media Days is that they can't uh, use any of the previous regime's issues against them in recruiting anymore. Um, you know, they released their um, punishments for Tennessee. I think it was like eight additional scholarships, an $8 million fine, and uh, no bowl ban, which, you know, for a wealthy school like Tennessee, that's nothing. Um, so I think that's what Heupel was praising at media days. Um, he has that dark cloud behind him. I think everything's just pressing forward. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about the offense, I mean, I don't think the offense is going to take much of a step back at all for Tennessee this year. I think Milton um, is going to be put in position to where he doesn't have to make um, you know, the hardest decisions. I mean, the offense is designed to get receivers open. I mean, that's a it's a veer and shoot offense. It's very similar to what Art Browse ran at Baylor um, when he had, you know, Robert Griffin, Bryce Petty, a lot of, you know, um, you know, the highly dynamic offenses. Um, I expect Tennessee, you know, they're gonna, they have a great uh, crop of receivers too, great trio of running backs, three starters back on the offensive line. So offense is not going to be the question. Um, defense just, you know, that's going to be the talk. They have to take a leap. Um, they're going to have about nine or ten seniors starting on their defense. So they have to be more than serviceable, I think, if they are going to even challenge um, Georgia, you know, in the East. Yeah, and uh, going back to the sanctions, um, one thing I really like about it is that they didn't punish the fans and they didn't punish the current players. And, I mean, to me, that is like – that's always been one of my biggest issues with NCAA with these um, sanctions is – you know, they, they end up affecting players who had nothing to do with this, coaches who had nothing to do with this. Um, and then the fans, like, it's just a bad experience if you're a fan. I mean, 
Um, it's good to see. You know, I like the fine. I think the $8 million fine is good because the boosters are the ones who are paying the players to begin with. So they're the ones who are going to have to pay for this. Um, you know, they're the ones who are being punished. Obviously, Jeremy Pruitt. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Not I much think, we can uh, say about I mean, that. Like, <laughs> man. I mean, just the... I think that was really the most funniest part. Well, was, I mean, was, was the quotes. I mean, was there a specific quote or thing that you heard about Pruitt that stuck out to you? Um, I think it was the... Uh, I think during the 2019 season, they had code words for all of their home games that year. And uh, one of them was, I think... Uh, we don't anchor down to Vanderbilt or something like that. I mean, they had some really funny quotes, and that was for um, their interns to get free parking, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines. But also just, you know, all their text messages being released about blatantly paying players. And um, one of the funniest ones was giving a recruit um, some money because he felt sorry about the um, social justice issues that were going on that summer in 2020. Um, we, no, we won't have to go into that, but he just gave recruit money because he felt sorry for the situation. So, I mean, just blatant stuff that, uh, that you know, he could have easily prevented. And funniest part about that investigation is they asked Jeremy Pruitt, where did you learn some of this stuff? And he went into depth about how he learned a lot of it at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, like, you can't help but laugh. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt, like, he may know a lot about football, but he does not have a lot of common sense, that's for sure. Um, but just like I was saying, it's just good to see the boosters and the coaches who are involved or be the ones who be punished instead of the fans and the players. Like, that's just, you know, th- that's just what, one good thing that I took away from it. Um, but uh, the last thing we're going to talk about, we actually run a little bit longer than I wanted to. I was trying to keep this under 45 minutes. We're at 49 right now, um, unfortunately. But uh, we'll try to keep it below 45 minutes going forward. But just the last team real quick. Uh, we'll talk about Mississippi State. Um, and then put them last because the SEC media picked them last again. They're always um, picked last. It's a pick, tradition. Yeah, they're picked last almost every year. I think they've only finished last like once in the last like 12 or 15 years. But It's um, a common pick. Yeah, it's, it's all right. But uh, anyway, new head coach, Zach Arnett. Um, obviously, Will Rogers is back. Um, you know, I think the real question um, for Mississippi State – um, this year, I mean, there, re- there really wasn't anything that he said that was all oh, that surprising. Or same thing with, I think, you know, really more just going with like Will, Will Rogers talking about the new offense, Kevin Barbe coming over from App State. Um, you know, it's, just, it's, I mean, no one runs the air raid like Mike Leach does. Um, so no matter wh- who they went to, it was not going to be the same offense. Um, and they're going more with a um, with like a, a split zone read, kind of like Missouri runs. Um, just a very, um, you know, they're they're going to run the ball a lot more obviously than they did um, with the air raid. That was going to be the case no matter what. Um, so it looks like we're going to see a little bit more of the running backs this year. And um, with Rodgers, I think the real question is just going to be how does he deal with the play action? You know, I'm sure all like the pre snap stuff is going to be different because you're not going to have um, you know, three guys rushing every play. You're going to have a lot more um, different fronts and everything like that. So, um, I mean, what what did you take away anything from Mississippi State, or what did you think about? Yeah, I mean, when I look at State, I mean, to me, it's just going to be the transition from the air raid, like you said, to the split zone read, um, <clears> similar <throat> to what you know Drinkwitz runs in Missouri. And what I noticed with Will Rogers a lot last year, he is very timid in throwing the deep ball. Um, I think you gave me a stat before we you know, sorry, recording, that uh, 
Will Rogers has never completed a pass more than 40 yards. I think that's what you told me. And that is something that this offense is going to be relying on is taking deep shots down the field from the play action. Will Rogers is going to have to understand he's going to have to take those kind of shots. And he's not going to have three guys rushing at him. He's going to see a lot more um, blitzes and um, four-man fronts. I mean, it's it's going to be a different dynamic. And I think the biggest thing I'm scared about, you know, transitioning is that do they have the right personnel to transition to this type of offense and still remain competitive. I, th- I think that's why a lot of the media members are skeptical, and that's probably why most of them did pick him last again. It does seem lazy to always pick him last. This year it may seem more reasonable, but other years, like you said, they were just pick last because a lot of media members are lazy. People forget about Starkville. Yeah, man, um, you know, just going back to Rodgers again, I mean, I, one thing that I, I will say about – Mike Leach in the air raid is it does it puts a lot on the quarterback. Um, obviously, the quarterback's throwing the ball every play, um, and it really the air raid is not a good offense to feature your best players. Um, it's really more of a you know if the defense does this, I'm going to go here. If they do that, I'm going to go here. Um, I think with Kevin Barbe, you're going to see a lot more of trying to get the playmakers involved. Um, you know, one of the biggest complaints from Mississippi State fans the last few years has been the lack of. Um, targets for Tulu Griffin, uh, who's a big playmaker, a uh, big kick returner for him, uh, all, All-American kick returner last season. Um, he just doesn't get the ball enough on offense. And um, I think that moving him into the slot um, is going to be a huge thing for Mississippi State this year. That's definitely someone to watch. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with Mississippi State, um, is Tulu Griffin this year, number five. Um, you know, they have the transfer from Georgia. Justin Robinson, receiver, came on for him last year. And then, of course, Jaden Wally, who's been there forever now. Um, so they've got some pretty decent receivers. Um, but, you know, that's the question. Is Will Rogers throwing the ball down the field? Um, how, you know, how's he reading those coverages? But, you know, the good thing is you're not going to be facing drop eight every play. You know, you're going to have a lot more windows to throw to. You're going to see a lot more man coverage. And Rodgers has a lot of experience under his belt. He's a football guy. His dad's a high school coach. I mean, he's, you know, you're not going to find too many people more experienced than he is. Um, and honestly, I would be surprised if they finished last in the SEC West this year. Yeah, but I can't – I know we were – say we are running a little long on time. I can't remember what state's um, over-under was, but I think it was around five and a half, if yeah, I remember I think correctly. I've seen, I've seen between five and a half and six and a half. That's about right. And even if they are picked last in the West, I mean, it's still reasonable that every team in the West can make a bowl this year too. All right. Well, we'll just go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, just want to give you guys a heads up going forward. Um, you know, just like I said, we're going to try to keep these below 45 minutes. Um, we just wanted to make sure we touched on every team today. Um, we try to be fair. Yeah, we want to be fair to everybody. I mean, that's one of the main things about this podcast is we don't want to be um, – some of these people would just sit up here and talk about, like, Florida – or talk about Georgia and Alabama and, you know, maybe LSU every now and then. I mean, we, we really want to spread the love around, give everybody their due, um, and we want to spend a little bit more time on some of those other SEC teams that maybe don't get the coverage that they probably deserve. Yeah, I mean, we're all big-time SEC fans here. Um, SEC football is our blood. Um, there's a lot of, you know, people that are just going to talk about, you know, like you said, Alabama and Georgia and national media that's what the focus is but we talk about everybody here and we are going to try to go every sunday at least every sunday until the season starts hopefully we'll do a couple during the week as well and then we'll try to go two times a week once the season starts um 
you know, going with the next uh, few weeks, what you can expect is um, I would like to do a podcast on the new video game and all the things we want to see there. Um, I want to do previews for at least some of the SEC teams. Maybe not all of them. We're probably maybe groups. Do, yeah, we probably won't do one for Alabama and Georgia. Just like we said, they get they'll be grouped in with someone yeah, else. Yeah, we may group some in. We may do some alone, but. Um, you know, we'll just try to get some of those knocked out for you guys. and um, you Probably know. one big preview um, the Sunday before the season starts. And then we just start the normal podcast, like, what, that midweek with our picks for those first weeks. Right. And then, you know, we'll have, just like you said, that preview one, we'll talk about, like, our final uh, predictions for the season. Maybe it's, like, some all-conference type players, um, stuff like that. Um, and uh, I thought I had one more thing, but it kind of threw me off there, JB. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little tired. I mean, we got a, you know, we got the Sunday scaries taking over us now. It's uh, you know, nine fifteen uh, Central Time. So obviously, you know when we're recording this right now. But uh, yeah, we got a long week ahead of us. Uh, we still got our, you know, normal full time jobs too. Yeah. So um, just going forward, just be looking for us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at SEC Slow Smoked, Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Um, you know, you can find us on any podcast app. Um, that you have um, you know if you have any questions you can always tweet at us um, slide in our DMs yeah, you can slide in our DMs uh, they are open our DMs are open they're always open um, we even can, though I'm a married man and you're happily taken I'm just still always open we uh, well, the only thing we get in our DMs is like high school players trying to tweet us their highlights because I think that they think that maybe we know somebody hey I mean it makes us seem more famous than we really are all right, well, that'll wrap it up for tonight. Um, hope you all got – hope everyone has a good one. I don't really know how to end these things. Yeah, me neither. All I can say is um, we got a lot of exciting previews coming. Um, please stay tuned. Uh, we're going to have some more um, podcasts coming this year. I know we're on a four-year hiatus, but like we said at the beginning, we've got a lot of brand-new equipment, more good content coming. Um, there's going to be a huge improvement. So hope you guys um, stick around. Glad to have some of you back after this long hiatus. and. Um, I'll leave it to you, Holt, to wrap this up, and hope to uh, you know see y'all next week. All right. Well, with that being said, we'll see you all in the next one. Bye.